Hello? Hello. Hi, Catherine. Hello, Jim. We received some, some feedback that suggested we might have some tension between us. <laughs> and apparently we used to laugh more, or we used to seem to ap appreciate each other more. That's really sad, isn't it? How we've grown tired of each other. Okay, so that sounds like an admission on your part. Well, here's my real feelings. When we started this, I was like, oh, Jim's a doctor. He, like, knows stuff about science. He's gonna tell me what's going on. And then I'll be done with it, and I can go about my life. And <laughs> what you've effectively done is suck me in to this wormhole of confusing information where there are no answers. And to answer any question, it just raises more questions. No, I didn't. <laughs> so I've given you so many good answers. Like, <laughs> think of how much you know now. I know so much. More than I... I wish I knew less. And can, I have a little tidbit here for you. Mm-hmm. Knowing what is unknown is a thing you know. Uh-huh. Not to get too Rumsfeldian on you, but right. that is an important thing. In any case, yeah, we haven't been joking as much because, you know, things are not funny. However, I do, I do have something to tell you, for real. Okay. And that is congratulations. Delay, a delayed, very belated congratulations, but congratulations. Yeah, you're speaking about being on The Colbert Show, The Late Show. You were on The Colbert Show. It, yeah, it was a weird time to be, um, to have that opportunity. It was like early March? Yeah. It was at the time when things were starting to get so extremely serious and everybody was starting to have to talk about this. And, and even a comedy show was like, well, I guess we're going to be talking about this deadly virus that's going around. So I was going around MSNBC and CNN and places that are like extremely serious and where my mm -hmm. jokes were not landing in, you know, in the midst yeah. of this global emergency. Totally. <laughs> um, People just weren't open to They weren't it. vibing. And so anyway, um, they had this idea at the show of doing this segment called The Uninformed Correspondent. Bootsy, who does the, the, the segment. Wait, just, so who's Bootsy is the uninformed correspondent? Yeah, Bootsy Plunkett. The premise of the segment is what? That she, <laughs> she's uninformed about basic things. Everybody, welcome back to Tub Talk. So I'm watching the segment right now on okay. my computer. It begins with Stephen Colbert in a bathtub in a suit. The Late Show has an expert in not understanding things. Her name is Bootsy Plunkett. She's our uninformed correspondent and the mother of my field producer, Jake Plunkett. So the producer goes to Bootsy's house. They chat. Jake, how you doing? Hi, say hi to everyone. They get in the car, they drive the to meet you, and then they walk in. I'm Dr. Hamblin. Hi, Bootsy. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Uh, still good. Okay. And then you are smiling with the kind of glee that just I've never, I've never seen on your face. Yeah. Dr. Handsome. I know. Well, thank you. That's what I should call you. Dr. Handsome. You're a handsome boy. Yeah, I'll be fine. Thank you. Okay. Very much. And then you shake her hand. I don't. Which? Okay. Yeah. Oh, did we? I'm oh yeah. I'm very concerned because I'm 61 years old, and I have a ton of autoimmune disease. You shook hands, and you're standing about three feet away from each other. Yep. Yeah. Like 
like Maybe really gesticulating and yeah. to, well, to each other dramatically and probably <laughs> moving all sorts of air particles around. We have a lot in common, yes. I don't want to die. Right. I just got a brand new granddaughter. I don't want you to die. Oh, congratulations. Thank you, Jake. Brand new. Okay, okay, yeah. And then you have, a, you have this chat. Okay, so how bad can this coronavirus get? Some people are going to die. We she asks you questions. You you nod affirmingly. Yeah. Now, what's the toilet, toilet paper? Already? Are you getting the runs with it? You're not getting the runs, but people are worried that they might have to be. And then she goes and gets hand, hand sanitizer. Yes. So she's to, very uh, funny. Hi, I talked to Dr. James Hamblin today, and I learned a lot about the coronavirus. I learned that it's going to wipe a lot of people out, including myself. So get ready. Okay, okay. <laughs> Why? It's a little dark. And I really am proud of you. It was very exciting to see. I was excited for you. It just was a fun, cool thing. And then that was the last I heard of Bootsy. (laughs) So I actually kept in touch with Bootsy and her son after we shot that. Mm -hmm. And they have had quite an experience. And I think it would be good to actually let her tell the story. So they've had a journey since they met you. Everyone has a journey after they meet me, but them... (laughs) True. (laughs) True. For them in particular, this journey was even worse than normal. Um, Yeah, so let's call Bootsy. Hi. Hi. Hi, Bootsy. So, Bootsy, I'd love to start by just asking you a little bit about the the Colbert segment you did because I know like Jim loved it and I've seen Mm. it but I don't know what happened behind the scenes you know oh we had fun right Jim yeah I would say so yeah we just talked and everything went really smoothly and I had a really nice time with Dr. Handsome (laughs) Dr. what Dr. Handsome I call him why do you call him that (laughs) because he's handsome you think I do. Thank you. And he looks like a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're not the first guest to say literally that. Yeah, I went to the bathroom, and there was the cam crew from the Colbert show, and Dr. Hamlin was sitting in a chair, and I walked by, and I just looked at him, and I thought in my head, that is not the doctor. And I walked into the bathroom, and then I walked out, and I saw him filling out a form, and I said... Are you Dr. Hamlin? He said, yeah. I said, oh, my God. Can they make him any younger? What were you expecting him to look like? Uh, a lot older looking. Yeah, more mature. More <laughs> yeah, yeah, more mature. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I should I should change the line of questioning here. Sure. Uh-huh. But I would like to know, when you were talking to Jake about doing this, what mm-hmm. was your, did you kind of think it was just going to be like a fun segment? Or mm-hmm. what did Jake think? And were people around you concerned? Or it just, like, wasn't on anybody's radar, radar at all? The thing is, like, yes, we knew about it. We heard it on the news. But it hadn't really reached over here. Or it, it hadn't really started up yet. Yeah. So right. we weren't all that concerned. Although on the ride home, me and Jake talked. After speaking to the doctor, we were like, wow. Like Jake said, he got really scared when he heard like people with pre-existing conditions, you know, it could 
be bad for them. You know, they, they might not make it out. You know, they could die, whatever. When you came home after having done the segment, were you telling other people? Like, yes. What, what did you say to people? You know, you really have to pay close attention to this, wash your hands, because then I was really becoming aware of it and scared. Yeah. You know? Did you encounter people who couldn't be convinced or were really There's a lot of people to this day that aren't convinced. (laughs) I suppose that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So it was hard back then because I even felt like I was panicking people and I didn't want to panic people. No, but I think a lot of us really had no clue as as what we were facing either. I really don't. Um, what what did you first notice when y- you started to think something might not be right? Yeah, so I, then I started getting these really bad pains in my head. And when I tell you, that's one thing I don't suffer from is headaches. Like, never do I get <laughs> You say headache. one thing, no, because like, you told me about this on the show, but you had... You have diabetes and lupus and rheumatoid yeah. arthritis, and yeah. you're no stranger to symptoms of various, like you're very in touch with what is normal for you and what is not. Right. Yeah. And, but I never, ever, ever get headaches. Never. And then it moved to the front of my head. So now I had it in front and in the back, and it was constant for, I'd say, about 10 days. But then I got fevers, and that lasted for two weeks. My husband slept next to me with a thermometer and he'd get he'd all night long. He'd be like, take your temperature. I'm like, come on, stop this crap. You know? <laughs> He's like, no, you got to take your temperature. I'm worried about you. And sure enough, I, I, we would take it. It would be like 103, 102.6 or whatever. And he'd say, take your Tylenol. And I would, and it would go away. Huh. So that went on for two weeks with these really bad headaches. So I, I called my doctor up and she did one of those things on on the computer telemedicine or whatever that's called Mm -hmm. and she sent me down she sent me down the z-pack okay your doctor assumed it was just sort of a typical type infection didn't really tell you um to do anything different than you would normally handle a cold no sleep sleep with a humidifier on and yeah you know don't go to a hospital don't come in here because you're just gonna you know infect yourself more there's too many germs i said okay so i stayed home then they did another televised thing over the computer and they wanted to know how i was feeling i said i don't feel any better i feel the same so they said why don't you have your daughter drive you to our place and we're going to come out and do a test on you for the coronavirus i said okay she took me. They came out in their hazard suits. It was pretty funny. Looks like something out of a movie. Mm. And uh, then they stuck these things up my nose. I felt like they were going to stick my eyeball out. It was really hurt. It was a weird test. It went all the way up behind your eye. Or it felt like that. Yeah. They called me the next day. Next day, I knew it was positive. Were you surprised? Did you think you might have it at that point? No, I really didn't think I had it. Wait, why did you not think that you had it? It sounded like from, uh, from Jake seemed to think you had it. Jake did. But I'm saying, <laughs> I, ha- I said, how could I have it? I've been in this house. I have not left the house. I mean, seriously, like, I was just 
doing everything by the book, washing yeah. my hands, walking around with a mask on. So I figured, I can't. I wanted the chances of me having it, you know. Now I'm scared. I'm like, oh my God, I got the coronavirus, you know. And I said to the doctor, so what do I do now? And they said, listen, just stay home, do what you're doing, unless it takes a turn for the worse and you can't breathe, then that's something completely different. But right now, you're fine. I'm like, okay. Huh. Guess what? I talked to her about four o'clock in the afternoon that day. At 10 o'clock, I was in the hospital. Wow. That's oh how God. quick it turned. My husband and my daughter said they watched me get up from the kitchen table, walk into the bathroom, walk out, and I literally threw my body on the kitchen table and I was gasping. Oh, no. I just couldn't breathe. My husband's like, you got to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm not going to the hospital. They told me Wait, to relax why? at home. Oh, you didn't want to go because your, do- your doctor told you not to? No, I didn't want to go because I was afraid. What were you afraid of? Being put on a respirator. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. By the time I got to the hospital, I was completely out of it. Like, I, my head was to the side. I was making no sense. Uh, I really didn't know where I was. It, it was really, really weird. It was like I was on another planet. Um, but my blood oxygen was 79. Yeah. What does that mean, Jim? I don't know what that means. It It's a measure of how much of your red blood cells are filled with oxygen. So normally, most people are 99 or 100. But when you get down to the low 90s, that's, you know, acutely concerning. And then when you're down at 79, you're thinking that this person is in respiratory failure. Yeah, they told me that I was maybe going to go on one. They were, they were very honest about it. How did they phrase it exactly? They just said, if we can't get your numbers up to where we'd like them, and you, it, your body doesn't respond to this, I think it was some kind of forced air down my throat or something. Yeah. And were you in the ICU at this point? Yes. Okay. I was in there for four days. Yeah. What is it like in an ICU in you know New Jersey in the middle it, of this the hardest hit moments of this pandemic? It was just terrible, and it was so scary. Scary because any time I've ever been in the hospital, whether to have my children or I've had many operations in my life, my husband's always been there with me always. And that was the first time he just had to hand me over and that was it. That was hard. And I was scared. I was, I was very scared. And the girl next to me in my room, in the ICU room, she was intubated and she was about 30 years old, 31 maybe. And uh, like I would see them come in and uh, they'd say, all right, we have to suction her out. And she'd start crying and stuff because it's extremely uncomfortable the whole thing of her being on it really made me upset and I would cry in the bed next to me because I just couldn't believe such a young and she was like a young beautiful girl on this machine and it just broke my heart well that was the thing you were afraid of right that's the thing you were afraid of when you didn't want to come to the hospital because you didn't want that to happen to you and then how were you feeling when you were inches away from that actually happening? I mean, the petrified. Yeah. Every time they came in my room, I was waiting for them to say, you know, 
this is it. You have to go on it. Like I would, as soon as they walked in, I'd be like, how's my oxygen number? So they must have thought, what is this woman with her oxygen numbers? <laughs> you know? And, and then, you know, finding out other stuff too that I didn't know was wrong with me. Like I, like I formed blood clots in my legs. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. It's really you know? common in this disease. People are getting clots. Yeah. But you started to have irregular heartbeat. You started to have kidney failure. You had blood clots. Yeah. Were you telling, and, and I know at the same time, you were not wanting to go on to the ventilator. So were you being forthcoming to the doctors or were you trying to say, be a tough person and be like, I'm fine, everything's uh, okay? Yeah, I was more that girl, yeah. the tough girl. And I shouldn't have really did that. But, no I mean, judgment. To, to, no, I mean, I, I understand that must be terrifying. Yeah, these people work so hard. I appreciate everything they did for me. First, they gave me decent food, but they didn't know I was a diabetic. And I had these two fruit cups. Oh, they should know. And they came. <laughs> That's something they, <laughs> they should went, know. Yeah, but listen, I ate them. I should know. I'm 61. But I said, well, they put them on my tray, so I guess I can have them. So I ate them. And the girl came in and took my blood sugar. She goes, holy shit. What did you eat? I go, a fruit cups. She goes, no, your sugar's sky high. I said, yeah, I know. I said, I, I just had to have them. From that moment on, my stuff on my tray was disgusting. Yeah. I mean, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> they gave you the diabetic diet. Um, oh my god, it was gross. But we didn't have like these beds. Like were like they weren't comfortable beds. And I can't like not that I expect a, a five star mattress, you know. But it was like on um, it was it was like an air mattress stuck on. So I can't explain it. I was never so uncomfortable in my life. Yeah, I, and I really felt like I was gonna just from the anxieties and I was depressed and I was scared. I felt like I was losing my mind. I was alone all night with my thoughts and it wasn't fun. It just was not fun. It was horrible. Do you remember anything that you said to the doctors to, you know, to say that you were okay or to... Oh, yeah. Well, they kept saying to me, how's your legs? Because, you know, with blood clots, you get a lot of pain in your leg. Pain? I thought I was going to lose my mind with the pain in my legs. If I had a saw, I would have sawed my knees off. Oh my That's God. how painful they were. But uh, the doctor's like, you know, you have to let us know if you have pains in your legs. How's your legs? And he'd squeeze them. He'd squeeze them. And I felt like, oh, my God, like the pain. I'd be like, no, no, I'm just fine. I have no pain whatsoever. I'm just doing great. <laughs> Because I, I, I was so afraid if I told them that I was in pain, I was going to be there another week. Yeah. And I just wanted to go home and get better there. Right. So as you started to get better, they put you on less and less oxygen. And you were telling me about how <laughs> you, you were trying mm -hmm. to make sure that you could do the test to get home. What was that? They told me in order for you to leave the hospital... You have to maintain 96 or higher, of course. Yeah, and you came in at 79. Mm -hmm. Anything lower, you're not leaving. So you were kind of fingers crossed and praying and everything that you would get that number, right? Well, yeah, because like the day before 
I knew I was going home, say Thursday, Wednesday. They're like, all right, you could take your oxygen off now. And then, you know, you're probably fine. Just keep it off. I would keep sneaking it on that whole day because I wanted to make sure I was getting nice and saturated with it. <laughs> like I was doing these little sneaky things in there. So I could, I knew it wasn't anything bad, but I instead of taking it off, I'd keep it on because I was afraid that the oxygen levels would drop. I was like really aware of all that because I just wanted out of there so bad. You're, you, you've mentioned the, the nights kind of being awake at night and the nights being the hardest part. Well, but yeah, because it's like when you're alone in the dark and the night you're watching the clock, one, two, three, four, and you're alone with your thoughts. And I'm thinking, my son just had a brand new baby um, who I am crazy about, but I haven't seen her in two months. She's only four months old. So it's like I'm saying, am I ever going to see her again? I'm thinking about my daughters and my husband and my son. And I'm just thinking about everybody. And I'm like, I can't leave this earth. You know, I have too much to do and see still. And you just sit and you think. of, And you know what you do? You think of things you shouldn't think of because that's what your mind does. And so that's what I kept saying to myself. You can't let yourself go down the rabbit hole. That's what I would say to myself. Yeah. That's such... The picture you're painting is such a stark contrast from us chatting three weeks before this. That's what I said. Me and Jake said the same thing. (laughs) Who would have ever thought? And remember me going, oh, I don't want to die. I just had a new granddaughter. Like we were just like, make, I was that wasn't a real possibility stuff. on your mind at the time. No, 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 it wasn't. I mean, but it is now. Yeah, it definitely felt abstract to me at the time, too, um, yeah. as a possibility. But then all of a sudden you're living it. Yeah, and it was bad. And, and it was bad for me, but it was a lot worse for some other people. How long have you been home? How? Uh, what was kind of your timeline from when you were in the ICU to today? I I went into the hospital April second and came home April tenth. So I was in there eight days. What does this make you feel when when you see people who are still not taking this seriously enough? You know, not doing social distancing or not not wearing masks in in the grocery store and the basic stuff or, or even denying that this is even a problem. How do you feel? Oh, angry. I get very angry, very angry. Like the beach is opening up in Florida and stuff. I just get angry because I don't, they just don't get it. And, and there's really nothing you could do to make them get it, make them go to the hospital like I did and see if they change their tune. Yeah. Cause that'll make you change your tune. Oh yeah, um, it's 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 just so. Right now, I mean, I'm home, and you would think I'm a prisoner of war. I'm afraid to leave my house because mm-hmm. you don't want to go through like that when, again. No, I don't. But like, I can't live like this either. Like, I don't know what to do about it. You know, I'm just afraid. I mean, like. The next time, you know, will it? Will I be so lucky? I don't know. And it's like, I don't know. It's scary. 
can I ask you, has this experience changed anything for you? What is it like on the other side when you think about kind of where you were before and where you are now? I mean, there's just so much more to be thankful for. Than, and, but, it, you know, it's a shame that you need something like that to happen in order for you to feel that way. I, I was always grateful for things that I have. But you know how we bitch and moan about certain things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Catherine certainly knows. I and, love to bitch and moan. Good pastime. You just think, you know what, there's... I was just grateful because I kind of knew that like I, I might, well, the way my husband told me, he goes, I didn't think you were going to make it. He goes, I would have never said that to you. He goes, but he goes, I like cried the whole ride home saying like, is this it? Is like, did I just drop her off to die? Like what the hell is going on? And now my mindset's different. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to take a lot to get me pissed off about, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, with the job loss, people are losing their jobs and stuff. Both mm-hmm. my daughters, like, they haven't gone to work. All I'm saying is, like, I said to my husband, if either girl needs help financially, we're going to help them out because who gives a shit about money anymore? And he's like, well, I did. <laughs> he's just laughing. He goes, I did work my whole life to save for this. You know, I go, I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't worry about it. I ain't going to blow it all. I said, but do you understand? He goes, no, I get it, Boots. He goes, it just doesn't matter. I said, no, it doesn't. What, what would you do if you didn't have the money to help them out? Like, stuff like that. Like, it, I just don't care anymore, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This is really helpful. So, <laughs> this is helpful to be reminded of. Um, it's been really... Um, Gracious of you to share your story with us and with the people who are listening. Um, oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was really me. nice to meet you, Bootsy. Thank you for Yeah, you to too, us. Catherine. These two guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You, you too. too. Okay. Take care, guys. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. What do you make of her experience like it started your sort of getting to know her started as this like comedy bit essentially oh man i i think it's so important to keep things in perspective in the way that this experience has for her and that me talking to her and people who've had experiences like hers does for me when i start to get depressed about how things are going or just the inability to see people or to do the things I like to do, I think of a situation like that and feel immediately, uh, you know, grateful that I have my health right now. Not that our anxiety, we've said this before, but not that our other concerns aren't valid, but like, it really feels like there are two worlds out there. There's this kind of sunny, sunny days out there that are cheering us up in the empty streets where things seem pretty quiet. And then there's this sort mm-hmm. of um, disaster zone scenario that people like Bootsy remind us of. And, that is what this is all about. And if we don't keep that front of mind, then we lose perspective on everything. Well said, Dr. Handsome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This show was produced today by Alvin Melleth with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. Uh, if you like this show and you want to support the journalism that we do at The Atlantic, you can subscribe 
to The Atlantic. You can do that at theatlantic.com slash support us. It helps support this podcast and all of our journalism at The Atlantic. Our coronavirus coverage is free on our website, theatlantic.com. So you can also go to The Atlantic to uh, to check out uh, Jim's coverage and all of our writers' coverage on this situation. Okay. All right. That was great. I really enjoyed meeting Bootsy. <laughs> Me too. Everyone And I'm does. glad she's well. Yeah. Um, talk to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Bye. Bye.